3: Hey, what is going on? Welcome to episode number 662 of Locked on Raptors for Friday, February the 14th. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. You're all my Valentine. Uh, I'm your host, Sean Woodley, of course, uh, of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked on Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And, of course... Please make sure you are checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. We have team focus shows covering all 30 NBA teams, all 32 NFL teams, now all 30 baseball teams with the addition of a Tigers show and also a fantasy baseball show coming up to for you on baseball. And we have 29 of 31 NHL teams covered as well. Unless you are a Columbus Blue Jackets or a... Calgary Flames fan? Right now, every team in the Big Four sports is covered for you, so make sure you are getting on that. And if you're a Flames or Blue Jackets fan, don't worry, it's coming to you soon. Uh, Again, please subscribe, rate, and review all the shows that you want to support. It's the best way to help support us and move us up the rankings and all that good stuff. So thanks in advance for doing that. It takes about five seconds to do. Alright, on today's show, it's an off day, it's the start of All-Star Weekend, and there's not a whole lot to talk about Raptors-wise after the end of the win streak on Wednesday. Of course, you can listen to yesterday's episode as I break down the end of the win streak and sort of revel in the glory that was the 15-game winning streak, because it was just an absolute treat, and it taught us a lot of things, which is pretty cool. So, go listen to that if you have yet to do so, and... On today's show, we are going to dive back into the Patreon vault from the old Primo's Pasta and Ross feed that I had going for about six months last year, and then I just got too busy to keep updating it, and there's a bunch of episodes sitting there that only like a dozen people have heard, and so I want to release them for public consumption. You've heard the deep dive on the life and times of the Raptor with Katie Heindel, you've heard our deep discussion of Mike James, who scored the ball at an incredibly high rate with Joe Wolfond, and now you're going to hear a chat with Teresa. Toronto's LeBlog James himself, Blake Murphy, joined me last year at some time. I didn't even remember we did this episode. I was scrolling through and found it and was kind of taken aback by the fact that it exists, but Blake Murphy apparently came on the Patreon podcast last year to talk all about Jose Calderon and the endless string of point guards that... He beat out for the Raptors starting job until eventually Kyle Lowry vanquished him, and Calderon was traded in the Rudy Gay deal to Memphis. And so we got into it for like an hour and five minutes about Jose Calderon because it was a pretty rich topic. So how we will do this is I'll post the first part today. Obviously, you're listening to it right now. Part two, because it's a long conversation, will drop either on Monday or Tuesday. We'll do some sort of All Star recap on one of those days as well. So that's what you can expect at the start of next. Next week, And we'll figure out the rest of the week as we go along, as it's a pretty dead week ahead of the return from the All-Star break on Friday when the Raptors take on the Phoenix Suns. And so, yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll maybe do some mailbags and stuff like that over the course of the next seven days. But you will definitely hear part two of this conversation with Blake, as well as an All-Star recap to start next week. So let's get to it myself. Blake Murphy, of course, of The Athletic and frankly, deeply rooted in all of our hearts and our souls, considering he is kind of the reason and Toronto has such a burgeoning NBA coverage scene. I really do believe that. He kind of raised the bar to a ridiculous level that everybody else had to try and fail to reach. Same could be said for Jose Calderon a little bit, I suppose, although the level he reached, as we talk about, was never quite as high as the heights of Blake Murphy and his uh, blog father days, but still the point stance and it's a good transition into the conversation between myself and Blake Murphy about Jose Calderon and the line of the point guards that he just wiped out. So let's get to it now. Part one of the conversation about Jose.
2: The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
3: So welcome to another episode and uh, this one's a special one for you, it's a a big deal. We have the godfather of Raptors blogging and I think the foremost expert on today's topic in the entire world even, From Raptors Republic, or formerly of Raptors Republic, now from The Athletic exclusively, which is awesome. It's Blake Murphy. How's it going, buddy? Good, man. How are you? I'm great. Uh, And today's topic, as you probably have seen from the title of the podcast, is Jose Calderon and his job battles over the years and this is a topic that I decided to reach out to Blake for, because I know you're very busy, Blake, but I wanted to give you right of first refusal on this, because it is a topic that you have written about in the past extensively, you had a big tracker back in the day of all the different guys that Jose called around vanquished to the Raptors' backcourt over his time with the team, uh, you wrote a piece in 2012 comparing him to Rocky Balboa, it just feels right to have you on this episode, so very glad you're here, and uh, let's get into this thing, so... I guess the place to start is just kind of rolling through Jose Calderon's, I guess, hit list of dudes that he vanquished as, as the starting point guard for the Raptors over the years, uh, or, or as the backup who eventually became the starter. Um, let's start in 2005-06. We'll cross over with an episode a couple of weeks ago with Joe on where we talked about Mike James. Mike James obviously was the starter in 05-06. He started 79 games, all of the games that he played. Jose Calderon gotten just 11 starts. He played 64 that season. And really, when Jose ended up being a starter, he kind of supplanted Jalen Rose and not Mike James in a lot of those games, and they went with a Calderon-James backcourt, which I can only imagine was a terror defensively. Um, I guess let's start with 5 Blake. Like, do you have recollections of your, this was our first year with Jose Calderon, this was the first time he was in our lives, do you, was your love sort of beginning to percolate for him there, did you have uh, you know, feelings that he should be starting over Mike James at any point, because this was not really a season where Jose excelled particularly, you uh, know, 49 and a half true shooting percentage, he was just not a particularly productive player when he was on the court, And Mike James, obviously, was Mike James that year. Were were there any sort of yearnings within you to have Calderon supplant Mike James as a starter that year?
2: Uh, I was actually... So when the Raptors signed Jose Calderon in 2005, I was actually pretty excited because he had looked really nice in the 2004 Olympics, even though Spain um, did really poorly in that one by their standards. I was like, oh, this guy's guy's interesting. And at the time, you know, it was... You kind of... Like 2004, 2005, 2006... The internet obviously existed and, and blogging was a thing, but you didn't really know nearly as much about these international imports
0: mm-hmm. as you do now.
2: So a guy like Jose Calderon coming over from the top tier Spanish league, from the Euro League, uh, you know, you probably didn't know a lot about him, but that 2004 Olympics had let you you know, ha- have a little bit of an idea uh, of who he was and coming in. And when you see the stats, he was coming off of almost 50-40-90 season in the ACB league mm-hmm. uh, at like age 23 um, it was kind of exciting at, at least um, I didn't know a ton about him and didn't really know what to expect as far as his his game would translate to the NBA and it looked like initially um, you know this guy had shot 44% from the from the European three point line and he came in and he was not a good three point shooter out of the gate and not a willing three point shooter so he was You know, with him and Mike James, it was kind of a a weird fit when they did start together where Mike James almost played um, the kind of the scoring guard role. Uh, Obviously, the Amityville scorer got shots up whenever he felt like that (laughs) year. But I don't have that. That's not the year. um, You know, I really had strong memories uh, about Calderon yet. I think by the end of the year, it was like, okay, this guy's a piece. Yeah. um and, and i think everyone knew mike james was leaving because he was going to get just way too paid coming off a of 20 point per game season <laughs> um but yeah that i mean calderon wasn't really calderon yet he was very young and obviously a, an nba rookie who who didn't shoot the 3 yet so
3: Yeah, he was, uh, for me, I remember just like, I think I was 12 or 13, I remember the press conference where they announced him, and I guess my sort of familiarity with international basketball was even less than most people's, because I had never heard of Jose Calderon, maybe I just didn't watch the Olympics or something at at that year in 04, or or whatever, but I was just like, oh, this guy, like, oh, another dude who is bad on the Raptors, thrilling, I'm so excited for this. Um, I guess the interesting sort of, the fork in the road thing in that oh five oh six season is that Mike James gets traded for very quickly, like very early, like pretty close to the season beginning. Uh, obviously, for Alston goes the other way. How do you think this season plays out if Rafer Alston, uh, after having fought with Sam Mitchell <laughs> in the summer prior uh, or the year prior, how, how do you think this plays out if for Alston comes in and is the starter from day one? Do you think he becomes Jose Calderon's first victim?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, for Alston was a nice player for a little while. Uh, he had that, you know, two fun years with the Raptors, but, uh, you know, his time as a starter wasn't really all that long after. he, I think, I think he had four more years as, like, a productive player in the NBA and then started the tail off. Uh, but he was a guy who you know, was never hyper-efficient, really. He, he could hit the three a little bit uh, and get to the line, but he wasn't a good free-throw shooter. He always shot poorly inside the three-point line. Um, and then, other than being kind of a, a gambler for steals, there wasn't really uh, a lot there. And then also the whole fighting your coach thing—maybe <laughs> uh, not not the best of looks. Um, you know, I think the year before the Raptors were basically the same whether he was on the court or off the court. Um, so you know, th- th- he does not have the profile of a guy who could have withstood the Jose Calderon onslaught.
3: Yeah, fair enough. So let's move. They to also else.
2: probably couldn't have started together. Because um, no. Mike James could play off the ball a little bit more than, than for Alston could, so I'm not sure. Like they, they probably would have had to choose one. Whereas they started Calderon and James together a little bit. I,
3: th- I still can't even think about how bad that would be defensively, Calderon and James. <laughs> like,
2: or Calderon and Alston. It's, that too. Uh,
3: yeah, at least Alston would like go for steals and had a little bit of like w- eagerness to play defense. I mean, you look yeah. back some of those. Mike James days, man. Like, he just did not give a damn about playing D. And, like, good for him. You know what? Shoot or shoot. And he had he a job up to do. He 20
2: points on 58% true shooting. He had a job to do, and it defense. was to
3: put the ball in the hole at an extremely high rate, and that's all he needed to do. So uh, I don't begrudging for that at all. Of course, he after is, this season... Sorry, go ahead.
2: No, I am just going to say, Mike James is the absolute definition of a looter in the riot. Like, a 27-win <laughs> team, in his age 30 season, he has his first, like, breakout year And then never sniffs those numbers again. It's it's kind of amazing.
3: And it's also a thing where, and we covered this with Joe so we don't have to linger on it too much, but it's a thing where, like, I guess a couple months into the year where they're really bad, that's when Mike James kind of smells his opportunity. You know, he, had, he didn't put up the prolific numbers until about January where he went on this crazy heater. Um, so th- th- that also just adds to the Looter and the Riot thing, right? Where it's like, oh, oh yeah, I'm on this team. It's bad. I'm going to take this now. Chris Bosh, I'm taking all your shots. Sorry. Um, so forever shouts to Mike James. Of that's course,
2: a, I know there are a lot of weird Raptors, but that's such a weird one. Like, they started 14 different players that year.
3: Yeah, and they began hey, the season. Sal
2: started 25 games.
3: Yeah, and they began the season 1-14, I believe. Um, that was also the Kobe Bryant eighty one season, uh, and they traded for we yeah we've t- we we t- talked we might have to do an entire podcast on oh five oh six too because it's so bizarre. But they they traded for Antonio Davis again, uh, and getting rid of J- Jalen Rose that season too. Just a strangely bizarre Dave. season that uh, uh, did it end with Bab- Bab- Babcock's firing? Was Babcock fired before this season? I can't even recall.
2: Um, I think he got fired in season. Okay. Well, oh, yeah, that makes the, sense, uh, yeah. He got the, like, Wayne Embry is interim in charge now. Yes,
3: yeah, that's right. And then Embry made the trade for Antonio Davis and ended up getting a bunch of cap relief. That uh, was a thing that Eric Kareen corrected me on in my ranking of the all-time Raptors, and I, I called him a bitch by accident, so. Um, oh. <laughs> um
2: by the way, the, the Raptors started Arujo, Sal. Antonio Davis, Matt Bonner, Lauren Woods, and Aaron Williams all just at center that year. And maybe (laughs) Bosch a couple times at
3: center. There were a couple games where, like, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm thinking of a different season where they didn't start a point guard. They started a point guard every game this season. There was a different year that we'll get to where they didn't start a point guard a couple games, but... Yeah, a bizarre season it starts.
2: Is that season 2018-19 when the Raptors are going to start Pascal Siakam as a point guard?
3: Uh, yes, that's the second season I'm talking about. Along that vein, for sure. <laughs> 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 uh, so after the 0 6 season, uh, the weirdness is kind of cleared out. Brian Colangelo's hired, and you know, it, honestly, it's so weird. I always kind of thought and figured Calderon was a Calangelo signing and not a Babcock signing. But I guess that's not the case. It's kind of weird in hindsight considering the Euro invasion that came after Colangelo signed. Um, but so Colangelo comes in, James signs with Minnesota for a lot of money and lasts like a year and a half there and then goes on to play for like the Crittenton Arenas Wizards. Good on you, sure. Mike James. Um, my TJ Ford is acquired from Milwaukee for Charlie Villanueva this summer as well and he comes in. And this is probably the most back-and-forth titanic starting point guard battle between Calderon and someone else? I Would would you say that's fair?
2: Oh, oh yeah. There were a number of, like... Like, I think the blogosphere referred to it as forderone because they traded the job back and forth so many times and yeah. everyone had a side. And, like, there was... Even that first year, Calderon didn't start a lot of games, but there were two different chunks of the season where it looked like he was the starter and then the next year it, like, looked like it again and then it wasn't. And it was two years of, like... It basically, it's it all. It almost felt like what the Raptors do now with the starters, where it's just like I, it. Does, I have no idea. Yeah, if they it, win three yeah. games they might keep this starter the rest of the year. If they lose three, they might change it up again.
3: Yeah, and it, it um. So yeah, it begins in oh six oh seven where Calderon only starts eleven games. He goes eight and three, or the Raptors go eight and three in those games where he starts, which maybe is an indicator that he is maybe the rightful holder of that job. But T.J. Ford is the big, sexy acquisition. As you laid out in your Rocky Rocky Balboa piece, uh, T.J. Ford was the first of many guys brought in to be Chris Bosh's BFF, and I think they were really trying to hammer that home. And T.J. Ford was good, and I enjoyed watching him play, and the number of times Chuck Swirsky referred to him as the fastest player in the NBA, I enjoyed the hell out of that, and I have no ill will towards T.J. Ford in his time. But looking at the numbers... In uh, 2006-07, Jose Calderon was a uh, 58.8 true true shooting percentage guy. TJ Ford 50.8, which is terrible. He, you know, Ford obviously had the bigger counting stats. He had 14, 3, and 8. Uh, Jose was just 8.7, 1.7, and 5, of course, coming off the bench most of the time, playing just 21 minutes a game, but he had a higher PER. He was doing more with his minutes than TJ was, for sure, but Ford held on to the job, and this wasn't one of those situations where they were starting both of them. That would have been very bad defensively, too, I'm assuming, um, considering Ford was like 5'10". Um, what was your sort of – I guess we can lump both of these seasons in, really, because 0- 7 08, Calderon kind of takes the job – for I guess the long haul because Ford gets hurt halfway through the year because of Al Horford and he only starts 26 games plays 51 and even over the course of the time that they played Calderon's numbers are just better his shooting is better significantly he's a better playmaker his on-off numbers are much much better TJ Ford's a minus 4.1 net rating when he's on the court uh, while Calderon's a plus 1.2 it's a pretty clear advantage Calderon in the second year What's your sort of assessment of how this transpired over the two years? I, I think people kind of refer to and look back at it as Ford being the better player, but the numbers kind of suggest that that wasn't even remotely the case.
2: Yeah, Ford was a, a more dynamic scorer, for sure, and he was probably a little more fun to watch when he was at his peak because he did get into the paint so well uh, for a guy his size. Um, you know, he was never, ever at any point efficient, though, and I think I think early on when it started to become a debate the point wasn't necessarily just that Calderon should start, but it's like, hey, T.J. Ford's playing style is really suited to kind of that microwave man role yeah. off the bench. And that first year, the Raptors had Fred Jones and Juan Dixon and Luke Jackson for a bit in that spot, but no one ever really held it down, and I think it just kind of it probably would have fit better Ford coming off the bench. Uh, you mentioned Calderon was a lot more efficient with, with his touches, uh, much higher assist turnover ratio, Jose was always kind of a, you know, a ball protector as the lead guard. And then if you look at, you know, what a starting lineup looks like, well, when you have Chris Bosch and Jorge Garbajosa and Anthony Parker also in there, you know, Calderon feels like maybe uh, a better fit there because Rastron as good as he was, not a huge like role threat, um, certainly not a pick and pop threat. <laughs> uh, so, you you know, you look at how those pieces fit and, and maybe, maybe Calderon kicking out to shooters and running a more structured offense fits a little bit better than TJ Ford's kind of improvisational, um, more dynamic uh, approach. Now, the difference here, I think at the time everyone dug in because these Raptors teams weren't super good and it felt like a big deal and it felt like a big difference. Um, Obviously, Calderon was more efficient and the advanced stats like him better. In retrospect, I'm not sure it would have made a huge difference. They, they played almost equal minutes. Uh, the second year Calderon played a lot more just cause Ford had that time coming back from injury. Um, you know, and then, then what, what a starting lineup Calderon, Parker, uh, moon, Bargiani, Bosch. <laughs> that's a, uh, that's a beauty that second year. But yeah, I think, I think it was really just a case of look Calderon was a lower usage, higher efficiency guy, on a team where they had some high-usage guys who, who there was a lot of incentive to get touches for. Like, Bargnani and Bosch needed their touches, and they needed, especially those guys were 22 and 23 that second year, they needed someone to get them the ball in their spots and kind of bring them along on the offensive end. And I just think Calderon's always kind of been the type of point guard who's better suited to that role, whereas TJ Ford, you know, come in and get yours, man. Get that scoring off the bench uh, was probably a better a better role for him
0: Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
3: Yeah, fair enough. And, like, you're probably right. The 07-08 season is ending in a depressing five-game loss to the Magic, no matter who's starting, I think. Um, And Ford might not have even played in that playoff series. Did he miss that? I can't even recall now. I gotta pull that up. I should have prepared for that. Um, but yeah, the, uh, he did.
2: He, he did. He yeah, actually okay. he started. Uh, he started all five games.
3: Okay. Yeah. So yeah, if so Calderon sw- starts if those games, it back around with
2: like twelve games left to go. Yeah. Um, Ford was like healthy again.
1: Yeah. And that's he right. started
2: down the stretch. Uh, the Raptors had also like they had had that huge losing streak and, and kind of struggled down the stretch. So mm-hmm. or not huge losing streak, but they dropped like five in a row at one point and um, like seven.
1: Anyway, eight, yeah, yeah. They, they
2: were kind of they were kind of slowing down they lost seven of eight right down the stretch too and yeah they they made that switch um but yeah i don't know jose calderon was what was he he was only minus two in a series they lost four games to one so
3: yeah fair enough um I guess we before we move on to the 2008-09 season, we have to talk about what happened at the end of the 06-07 season in the playoffs against the Nets. Calderon obviously has the turnover there in the in game 6 late in that game where they have a chance to send it to 7. Um, do you have recollections? Where were you when you watched that game? How did you feel about your boy Jose?
2: Uh, I don't I don't have strong memories of it honestly. Yeah. Um I think that that playoffs where was I I was like not around right um for some reason uh and I'm drawing a blank on why um I don't have strong memories uh, of that playoff series um yeah I don't really know why oh you know what it was so in the after um in the summers during university I worked shift work right and I was very likely on nights
1: oh, okay.
2: um so I worked at the Toyota factory in Cambridge like on the assembly line, and I was often on nights. So right when school ended, I'd go into that. So that's I'm assuming that's why I don't have strong memories of it, because I have very strong memories of a lot of those seasons when I was at university and had nothing to do but watch basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think yeah, once once it got into late April, early May, I was already working.
3: I just remember being so crushed that it was Jose that made the turnover just because I, like, by the end of that season, I had really come to adore him. He had the three point celebration. He was a guy that, you know, had, he was the Raptor's own, right? He, he was someone that they signed and cultivated, and he had turned into such a good player by the end of the year. That, yeah, it was a bit of a bummer to see him be the one to kind of choke it away at the end. Again, I don't think they're winning Game 7 against the Nets that year anyway. And, they and probably it was one. Like,
2: it also, it's so, like, antithetical to how Jose Calderon played as a Raptor. Where yeah, yeah. His assist-to-turnover ratio was always, now, looking back right now, the turnover percentages were actually higher than I expected. But, like, he was still, like, in terms of assist-to-turnover, which is what I think a lot of us were using for, like, Ball control at that point, um, he was still like really solid, like three to one regularly, four to one sometimes. So it was just weird for that to be the way. Not only the Raptors went down, but yeah, for Calderon to be the guy to do it.
3: It's so funny you mentioned the assist to turnover and the sort of dependence on that stat because I am pretty certain that was the most quoted stat. In the entirety of like the 06 07 Raptors season, for like Jose Calderon's this is turnover ratio, and the same with the season after, where it was five and a half, which is kind of insane. Um, like that,
2: yeah, that, 9.8 to 1.8, that's that's bonkers per 36.
3: Yeah, like that was they quoted that. All the time. They really – that was a crutch for them would be like, see, he's really good. Trust us. He's, he's great. He's awesome, which he was. He was amazing. Um, so after now, the 07 int-
2: – yeah, go int- ahead. Sorry. Interestingly, like, we also know now a little bit that a lack of turnovers isn't necessarily a good indicator. Like, we know with, like, young point guards, you're actually okay with them making turnovers in terms of projecting them um, because it means they're doing things and they're trying to make things happen. Yeah. And they're maybe – it speaks to a little bit of dynamism. But yeah, Jose was safe from basically from like day one, which is, you know, I know he came into the NBA at 24, but that's still pretty, it's pretty crazy that he was just like right away, they're like, oh yeah, he's the safe option. Yeah. If (laughs) if this guy doesn't work out, we've always got Jose in the tank.
3: For sure. Uh, So after the 07-08 season ends at the hands of the Magic, they kind of consolidate a little bit. They trade Ford to Indiana in the Jermaine O'Neal deal, along with Roy Hibbert, they bring back O'Neal and someone bad, I can't remember who. Uh, Awesome. What's that? I just said awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, Nathan Jawai comes back.
2: That's yes, correct. Yeah. Australian Shaq.
3: Yes. Oh, my God. That is one of the most depressing things I've ever heard. Uh, so Calderon signs a five-year, $45 million contract, one of the first big contracts that Brian Colangelo gives out, and pretty deserved. He was really good in the 07-08 season. And then Roko Ukic and Will Solomon are signed as the backups. And this is the season where Jose really kind of thrives. He... I don't know. I guess there. If there is a season in which he was like spurned as like a potential fringy all-star guy, this is probably the one. The 0809 season. He plays 68 games. He starts all 68 of them. He averages 12.8 and 8.9. He shoots 40 40% from three. He's like very very close. Just like micro yeah, decimals he off of a 50 49. Yeah, he's 49.7% from the field. 40.6 from and then 98.1 from the line. Uh, I think he had like the streak of like 100 and something made free throws in a row during this season, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yes. Which um, is, uh, it's my favorite Jose Calderon moment, which we can talk about after because it <laughs> happened when he wasn't a Raptor. <laughs> but uh, this will come up again. Okay, sounds good.
3: Um, yeah, so he has that season. The Raptors are. Like not particularly good. This is Jermaine O'Neal. Jermaine O'Neal kind of falls apart when Jo is hurt to begin with, and just not very effective, and kind of passed it. And I think expected to be something that he just wasn't physically capable of being anymore. But through all of it, through all of the misery, Jose was really steady the entire way. Missed 14 games, obviously, but um, like there was never even a whiff of a challenge from Will Solomon or Roko Ukic. It was to the degree that those guys weren't taking his job, that even in a few games where Calderon missed, they just went without without a starting point guard entirely. Like, there are a, right. bu- a few games unaccounted for here among the point guards in terms of games started on the basketball reference sheet. I don't know. I can't find the exact games where those line up. It might have been Leandro Barbosa that got in. No, he didn't start either. I don't know what's going on. Uh, <laughs> that's a different year right. I'm looking at altogether. It's just, it's, it's perplexing, but... Um, yeah, so do you have recollections of this season? Do you think he was an all star caliber player that season? Uh, just sort of give me your rundown of the 08 09 year, which is probably his best as a Raptor.
0: Yeah,
2: at the time, did I think he was an all star? Absolutely. <laughs> Looking back now, no, you can't average 12 points to get in the all star game. In hey, the NBA. Ja-
3: Jamal McGlure did, I think, exactly that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um anyway yeah I mean it's a, it's a pretty crazy season like an assist to turnover ratio in a full time job of greater than 4 to 1 you mentioned the 50 40 90 the um I think that's still the NBA record for free throw percentage in a season at 98.1% mm-hmm. like even even if that was only 154 free throw attempts that's that's remarkable um and then yeah his, some of his you know he. The Raptors were bad, but they were still outscoring teams with Calderon on the floor. Which, looking back at that year, seems like a minor miracle since they were thirty-three and forty-nine and bottom ten on both ends of the floor. Mm-hmm. That they had a starter who all year they were you know a net positive with. Um, yeah, he was really good. And, and you know I mentioned earlier about getting your guys involved and being kind of that veteran hand. Um, you know I think that was probably. The where um, optimism about the Bosch Bargnani pairing probably peaked as well. Both of those guys had like pretty efficient um, offense seasons and, and looked like maybe they they be able to play together over a larger sample. Bargnani came off the bench a bit that year, but but he, he started also played the, some the small for
3: forward, season. baby.
2: <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah, give me Bargnani Bosch Jermaine O'Neal. Perfect. <laughs> It's what the
3: modern NBA is about, is having as many big guys with uh, point guard skills as possible, and uh, none of them had that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so I don't, uh, you know, I I think that obviously that was Calderon's best year. That's a weird year where, like, Calderon, Bargnani, and Bosch all had pretty good offensive seasons, That it just, like, they had injuries, and uh, Sam Mitchell and Jay Triano were perhaps not the best of coaching duos, and they couldn't defend, like, at all um i don't know that was probably the high water mark for for calderon where it was like okay this contract's good he's the guy that can start with Bosha bargani as you move forward and you can interchange the wing pieces or whatever um but yeah i mean that that's pretty much it is they were a really bad team and he was kind of the steadying force that when they were not so bad he was uh he was a big part of the reason why
3: we all have these little, like, dudes in Raptors history who we all kind of fixate on for whatever reason They had a little stretch that we like. Mine is Omar Cook. Big fan of Omar Cook's work. Uh, yours, I'm pretty sure, is Will Solomon. You have talked about Will Solomon with me on a podcast before in the past, I believe, way back in the day, like the Raptors HQ podcast days. Um, do you recall like rooting at all for Solomon to get in as a starter this season? I know he was kind of your little pet guy. Uh, Roko Ukic like, never had a whiff. Like, How do you think those two view Jose Calderon now? Do they view him as someone who's a superior, or, or someone that they should have had a chance to maybe supplant at some point?
2: Oh, God, no. no. Will <laughs> Solomon was really bad. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't really know where it came from, but I was like, oh, Will Solomon's a cool story, like, let, let's get him in there and see what he's got. Um, I don't think at any point until Lowry did I think anyone should be starting over Calderon. Right. Uh, but Will Solomon was, like, like pretty
1: bad.
3: Yeah, well he was garbage. Um, moving to the yep. next season, they brought in someone who wasn't quite as garbage, and who in 2009-10, this is of course the last Bosch year, the Hedo year, the year where they brought in someone to try to convince Bosch to stay, his old Georgia Tech buddy, Jarrett Jack. Um, Jack and Calderon have like pretty identical numbers, really. They shoot pretty similarly. Jack actually has a bit of an advantage there. Uh, their on-off numbers are pretty much identical. It's, uh, their PERs are even identical. Like, their their win shares per 48 are pretty identical. This, I think, is, maybe we look back at the Ford color thing as, like, the closest battle of two guys who deserve the job, but as much as we make fun of Jarrett Jack now... He was actually kind of good in that 2009-10 season, and I'm not surprised he ended up getting forty three starts. Obviously, Calderon yeah. falls back here; he gets thirty nine. It's again kind of a back and forth pushing. Who makes fun of Jared thing. Jack?
2: Jarrett Jack's like the most beloved guy in the NBA. I think He's people had, made
3: fun his, of Jared his entire, Jack.
2: Like twilight of his career has just been because everyone likes having him around.
3: That's fair. I feel like people made fun of Jarrett Jack being a starter on like the Nets and the Knicks recently. Um, because yeah. obviously he's not a starter anymore, and he probably thinks he's a little bit more. I think he also he got some flack for his Warriors days, too. I think Warriors fans kind of hold him in a, in a bit of a low regard just because of, I guess, they don't like anyone touching Steph Curry even a little bit. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, I think it was reasonable that Jared Jack ended up getting more starts this season than Jose. As much as I love Jose, I thought Jared Jack was really good that year.
2: Yeah, Jared Jack has such an interesting career, man. Yeah, it's... Played for nine different teams over, what, six, nine, 13 years. He was uh, he was closing in on that on that record of 12 or whatever it is teams played for.
3: Yeah. Did you have any, uh, like, belief in the idea? Did you put any stock into the idea that he might be able to keep Bosch around?
2: Look, I never think it's a bad idea when a player is actually a capable player yeah. to, like, have someone he likes on the team like when the raptors added jeremy castleberry to the staff because he's Kawhi's boy and then like word out of san antonio was that oh no he's actually like a a really good emerging player development coach it's like oh okay well if it makes basketball sense and it has this added bonus Mm -hmm. um awesome And, and jared jack at the time was like solid unfortunately he fit right into that band that calderon did where it's like okay if he's your starting point guard you're probably always looking to upgrade. If he's your backup point guard, you're in really good shape.
3: Yeah, fair enough. Do you think that's kind of the... like? What do you think was the reason for Colangelo Cal- always kind of needing to upgrade Calderon? I guess it's because of what you said. He was just kind of that good of a player and there were always maybe potential upgrades out there. But it didn't seem like anyone he brought in was like a substantial upgrade. Like, What do you think was Colangelo's beef with just having Calderon have the job and not worry about it?
2: Yeah, I I mean, part of it is that if you don't have a T.J. Ford or a Jared Jack on some of these teams, uh, the backup point guard situation is just garbage. Like, like, like you said, when Will Solomon, the one year they did give it to Jose and didn't bring someone else in, you know, they started five games without a point guard because the backup point guard situation was so dire. So, (laughs) part of it might have just been, you know, you're adding talent and trying to figure out the fit of it later. Uh, But yeah, part of it is probably too that Calderon was that guy. I I mentioned it kind of earlier that. He's that steady hand where if he's starting, you're fine with it. But, you know, he was never, other than that 2007-08 season, probably or 2008-09 season, he was probably never an above-average starter. He was an above-average playmaker for sure. And, you know, I think if he came along now, his three-point volume would be such that um, he'd be a little higher on the scoring end. But, you know, he was never, despite his size, he was never a particularly great defender um, outside of coming up with some steals and just kind of leaning a body into guys. And, and even though, you know, his on-off numbers were always better than his contemporary, except in that one Jared Jack year where they were even, um, it's not like they were bonkers, right? Like we're yeah. talking like plus 1.2, plus 0.5, yeah. um, things like that. So, um, you know, there was always a good case to to add. And I think it, I think it helped too that, you know, he was making $9 million a year, which at that time is high for backup money. But it's not like... It's not the kind of money where you can't sign another guy at that position either, right?
1: Yeah,
3: for sure. All right, that's where we'll cut it for today. We will start off the next part of the conversation discussing Jared Jack and uh, some other fellows who came along in sort of the second wave of Jose Calderon's run of dominance in the Raptors' backcourt. I uh, hope you enjoyed this one. Again, next week will either be Monday or Tuesday, we'll drop part two, and then Monday or Tuesday we will have an All-Star retrospective episode of some kind, probably involving Katie Heindel, considering she is in Chicago covering the All-Star festivities. So we'll have her on whenever she's available and that will dictate the schedule for the start of next week please as always subscribe rate review we very much appreciate it when you do that not just for this show but for all of the shows across the network that you want to support once again if there's a team in the big four sports that you like there's a very good chance there is a locked on show covering it so please make sure you're subscribing rating and reviewing that will do it we will talk to you again on monday enjoy all-star weekend enjoy the dunk contest pray for many props pray for weirdness, because the dunk contest is always at its best when people like John Collins are doing spectacular prop-inspired plain dunks that fail horribly, and also when there are mascots involved. We have a chance that all of those things could come together here. A good dunk contest with a bunch of weirdness and props, because Dwight Howard is there, because Aaron Gordon is there, there's a lot of potential here. So, looking forward to that. We'll talk all about that next week as well, and until then, have a great weekend, everybody, and we will talk to you next time with another episode of Locked on Raptor.